Now we continue our series looking at Jonah for Advent. So these are the words of the Lord, Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it against it in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you, do you do well to be angry? The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, open our ears that we may hear your message today our eyes that we may see what you have done, our hearts that we may find rest in your grace and mercy. Give Andrew wisdom as he brings us the word. Let us be strengthened by word and spirit so that we can continue your work. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Maybe some of you from Arts and Rec Camp this summer remember the words of this song. Apparently it started with kazoos. Men of the city, oh what a pity. God will destroy you. Palm trees will rot all that you've got. God will destroy you. You've been bad. Now you will be sad. God will destroy you. Kill all your sheep. Then you will weep. 
just 40 more days, then you will pay. God will destroy you, tear down your wall, houses will fall. God will destroy you. Turn back. Turn back, you wicked, wicked men. Turn back. Turn back to God. Come follow him. Forgive all your sin. It's a heavy song for an arts and rec camp. Um, That is a heavy message that God brought to Nineveh through the prophet Jonah. This morning, I want to come back to Jonah and just, again, remind you what we're doing here. When we come to Jesus, when we come to Advent, we come to the one who is the greater Jonah. Uh, Jesus said to the people during his ministry, one greater than Jonah is here. Uh, And in Jonah and in Jesus, we see lots of points of of coming together. I actually sat down this week and and just made a list of all the ways that that Jonah and Jesus are are similar. They're prophets. They're prophets from the area of Nazareth. Uh, They both uh, spent some time sleeping in a boat. Uh, They uh, were called to go to these cities cities that would ultimately rejected. They both sat, uh, spent some time outside of the city, uh, weeping over the city, so to speak. Uh, there, there are so many places where we see the continuity between Jonah and Jesus, but of course, part of the, the message of this and, and part of the encouragement for us is the discontinuity between Jonah and Jesus. The fact that, that Jesus is the greater Jonah. Uh, and that's what we are diving into. So how do we understand it? Last week, we, we looked a little bit at, at God and Jonah. Uh, we looked at God and ourselves. We saw God as this one who pursues uh, Jonah and uh, so much of our own hearts as the ones who run away. You see, there, there are these patterns that keep showing up from creation, whether it's Adam and Eve, Adam, where are you? You know, why are you hiding from me? We see that pattern being repeated in Adam and Eve, in, in Jonah, in ourselves. And, and so we want to understand who we are, But we also want to understand where we are. Uh, I was reminded of uh, Brian Walsh and Richard Middleton wrote a book called The Transforming Vision. And they said there are four worldview questions that if you want to understand something and and how to, uh, what sort of view of the world it has, uh, you you say, "Who who are we or who is being depicted here? Where are we? What, what is the scene, so to speak? Uh, what's the problem and, and how to fix it? And, and I realize that that's kind of the outline that we have over these next few weeks. Last week was who are we? This week is where are we? Next week we're going to be looking at the problem and then the last two weeks we'll look at how that problem gets addressed. So when it comes to where are we, 
I, I'm just sticking with the places that are named here in this story. So again, Jerry read for us chapter 3 and the first few verses of chapter 4, but we're going to be going in and out throughout the book of Jonah. I don't know how it is in your Bible, but in my Bible when I open it, it's just right there on two pages. Uh, so you can look at it, keep it open, and we'll be going backwards and forwards. Where are we? Let's start with Nineveh. What do we know about Nineveh? I suggest to you that we know two things that are very important uh, in the story about Nineveh. The first is this, is that it is a, a very great city, Ir Hagadol. Uh, it, is a, it is a great city. What does the word great mean? Great means, on the one hand, it means big. Uh, we're told here that in those days it would take a number of days to march through that. We're not exactly sure what that means in terms of, you know, its comprehensiveness, the number of steps that it took, all of that. But the impact of it is pretty clear. It was a big city for its day. But it also can mean sort of a weighty city. Uh, it's great not only in terms of its size, but it was great in terms of its importance. And, and we certainly know that. In that particular day and age, the Assyrians, which is where Nineveh was the capital, was growing in influence and power and, and might. They were conquering the world, all of these different things. Uh, if you read some of the history of Nineveh, you realize that it was a very beautiful city. Uh, some have even suggested that the hanging gardens, which are often attributed to Babylon, had their uh, beginnings in, in Nineveh. Uh, so it, it had aqueducts, and it was, uh, it was quite developed in terms of a city for its time. So this is a great city, and we're told that at least four times in the narrative. We're told it right away in 1-1, we're told it again in 3-1, uh, and then a little bit later on we're, we're told it that you know, Jonah started going through Nineveh, the great city, and then we're also told it at the end of chapter 4 uh, where God concludes and he says, should I not love Nineveh, that great city? So on the one hand, when we come to Nineveh, we, we see a city that has weight, it it matters. It's a great city. It is showing forth uh, the creative purposes that God had put into the world. There's development, there's economy, there's all of these different things, uh, things that God appreciates uh, and things that God loves. That's number one. Number two, what we know about Nineveh is that it is violent. Uh, its violence has come up before the Lord. We're told in, in, in verse 1 that its sin has, has risen before the Lord. Then in chapter 3, we're given a little bit more of a uh, magnifying glass into that sin, and we see uh, that they are violent. The king is able to identify this in verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in uh, their hands. And, and we know this from history. Assyria was one of the cruelest, I'm quoting here, and most violent empires of the ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, gloating uh, of whole plains littered with corpuses, 
corpses of cities burn completely to the ground. Uh, Shalmaneser III, one of their Assyrian emperors, is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, decapitation of enemies in grisly detail on large stone reliefs. Assyrian history is as gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. Uh, it could go on, but it actually gets pretty detailed, and I'm not sure we all need to have all of the images of violence that are here with Assyria um, emblazoned on our minds. Uh, but there's an indication here that not only was Assyria violent towards its enemies that, it would, that they were intent on conquering, but there's also this sense here that this violence has crept into the very fabric of their society. Some of that we, we surmise from the way that the king issues this decree, this proclamation throughout Nineveh. Apparently this was not uncommon among Assyrian kings to have this kind of proclamation. If there was a, an event like an eclipse or a storm or uh, something like that that got everybody's attention, uh, Nineveh, you know, like other uh, pagan idolatrous cities, they were religious. And, and so they would assume that these were coming because the gods were angry at them. And it seems that Jonah's preaching has done something similar, like it's created a disturbance. And so the king issues a proclamation. We're going to talk more about their repentance uh, in a couple of weeks, you know, whether this was an actual real repentance uh, that's a question that we have here but in terms of the city we recognize that the king sees it as something that has pervaded society uh, let every person uh, be covered with sackcloth uh, from the greatest to the least including even the animals uh, and, and there is a real sense of the comprehensiveness of the way that this violence, this sin, has infected their city. Let each person put it away from their hands. Uh, there is a real the way that that word is translated there. There's a real personal sense to it. And we recognize this. You know, when, when violence is a mode of operating it will very soon consume us as well. So what do, we, what do we read into this, or how do we begin to understand this? Uh, we, we see here uh, in Nineveh, we see this, this repeated pattern in the world. A as, as man seeks to establish themselves, they do it in a way, we do it in a way that is contra- God. And, and, and so the more, uh, the more competent we get, uh, the, more, the more that violence rises. We go back to, to Genesis, and, and you see uh, Lamech and, and all of the, the different sons of, of Cain as they are developing in the arts and the economy and all of those things. Violence is in their hands until eventually uh, the earth is so filled with violence that, that God has to send the flood uh, into that particular way. 
We see this then being repeated in, in Nineveh as the, the violence begins to rise. And, and we can recognize this in our own society as well. Uh, violence is something that, that we see. We see it out there in other parts of the world as, as people are fighting each other, but we see it here in our society as well. Uh, I just read a statistic this week that as of uh, November 20-something, we have had 607 mass shootings in the U.S., uh, in the year 2022, uh, a mass shooting being defined as four or more people, not including the shooter, uh, being killed. So, so violence is just, it's part of what, who we are uh, when we are seeking to establish ourselves apart from God. Uh, we, we see this pattern being repeated over and over and over again. And, and we understand why God uh, has concern for these cities, uh, why God is angry with these cities, wrathful in a just sort of way. Here's how one writer sums it up, Jacques Ellul. He says, Nineveh was the place of man's omnipotence. It was man's counter-creation confronting God's creation. It was the place of human pride which allies itself with demons and rejects God. It was the world fast-closed against God. Spiritually, this was what Nineveh represented, opposed to God. This city was necessarily opposed to his people. God orders Jonah to go to the very place that he was loath to go, to be a light among the darkness. In sum, Nineveh is the world in a theological sense. We understand why, you know, some of our Christmas songs talks about a weary world uh, where, where Jesus is coming into, a, a weary world that is, is longing for a, a life-giving word longing for something that speaks to it, not of violence, but of compassion. But there's a second place that we need to pay attention to, because it's easy to say, oh, that's Nineveh, or that's uh, out there. But let's think about Israel. Uh, Israel is very much embodied in the person of Jonah. Jonah, the prophet from Gath-Hefar. You can put Gath-Hefar. That's actually the place that's named, if you prefer, in your outline. Uh, but it's, it's Israel, right? And, and Jonah, the prophets, one of the things that the prophets do is they embody uh, their representatives, all of these uh, anointed offices, prophet, priest, king. They embody the, the people that they represent. And, and Jonah embodies for us the people of Israel. And, and what do we see in the people of Israel? Just in these first four verses that Jerry read for us out of, um, out of Jonah, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. 
He prayed to the Lord, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I was getting out of there and going to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Sometimes it's easy to think about the violence being out there uh, and, and forget that the violence is in here as well. We, we know how Jesus talked about anger and murder and violence. You have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's right. Let's get those Ninevites. You know, oh, Nineveh, you are to be pitied. But Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What do we see with Jonah here? We, we recognize that it's not just the black hats and the white hats. It's not just those Ninevites and the righteous Israelites. But we recognize that that violence has infected Jonah as well. That, that Jonah is just as liable for the violence that is in the world. He is contributing to its weariness as the Ninevites were. As he is outside of Nineveh, consumed with anger, desiring their destruction, and when it doesn't happen, he is so angry that he is willing to wish that his own life would be extinguished. Do you see how Jonah is no different than the Ninevites? Do you see how that, that heart, that, that violence, it, it's not just out there, but it's in here. And this is part of the message of this book. This book wants to dispel the idea that, you know, religion is the thing that will save you. If you are just a religious person, if you're in the right group, then you can condemn all those other groups and you can be secure in the, uh, the righteousness of your own group what this book wants to do is cut across it. And as Jonah is the one who is narrating this book, he is giving us very graciously a view into his own heart and into our own hearts and helping us to see that it's not just the Ninevites who need the compassion of God, but we all need the compassion of the Lord. And, and this is where we begin to understand the difference between Jonah and Jesus. You know, Jonah is this prophet from Nazareth. Gathafar is, is a town that's, that's very near Nazareth. Uh, Jonah is this prophet from Nazareth. And he goes outside of the city seeking to see the violent people destroyed. He wants to see their blood. But Jesus is a prophet of a very different sort. 
Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says. He says, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. You know, Jesus, as the prophet from Nazareth, went outside the city, but he wasn't seeking the destruction of the violent. Rather, he was sacrificing his own blood so that the violent could be sanctified. And, and this, is, this is what we are invited into. This is what, what Jesus is saying to his contemporaries. He said, one, one greater than Jonah is here. I, I, I have come, you know, not just to condemn all of the wicked, but I have come to offer grace to all who will realize that they need that grace, that they are wicked and will repent. One greater than Jonah is here. And this is, this is really the thing that frees us here. Because as we're going to see in, in the weeks to come, the invitation here is not to look at ourselves and say, oh, we've got it together and those people not so much. You know, we, we've got it together, but, you know, those folks out there, whether it is ethnically driven or culturally driven or however it is that we look at those people, uh, the invitation is to look at ourselves and to say, we are so far off from who we were created to be. We are so far off from experiencing the grace of God, but... But God's grace reaches to even me, to even me. And that is the good, good news for a weary world. A weary world rejoices. There's two other places here, though, that I want to mention for you uh, today. One is Tarshish. Uh, what is Tarshish? Um, some of you maybe know a little bit about Tarshish. Uh, we're told Tarshish was, uh, you know, we're not exactly sure which, you know, where the city was. Uh, there are a couple of different uh, archaeological points that vie for the actual location of Tarshish, but we know that they were marked by their shipping trade. Uh, they went everywhere. They had these magnificent, uh, they, these magnificent ships, uh, so much so that in Isaiah 61, when uh, Isaiah has a vision of the new kingdom. It says, in the lead will be the ships of Tarshish. Like they were, they were the gold standard for shipping. And they went all over the world and they, they brought things back to uh, various parts uh, wherever they were stopping. In, Solomon day, in Solomon's days, the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Uh, once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Uh, so those were the, th that was the port of call. And, and this is what Tarshish represented when Jonah got the call to go to Nineveh, this great city that was very violent, uh, to deal with, to bring God's word to that city. Uh, and, and eventually then to deal with the violence that was in his own heart. 
Jonah's impulse was to go to Tarshish. And Tarshish represents, I think, for us this exotic escapism. Like we, we can just go into all of these other places and not have to deal with the junk that is right in front of us. Not have to deal with the junk that is out there. Not have to deal with the junk that is in here. And maybe this is not the way you make application, but I was thinking about peacocks. And I was thinking about the peacock network and and the ways that, uh, you know, peacocks come into our world today. You know, we escape through media and television and we escape through our sports and we escape through the novels that we read. We, we just find so many ways to escape from Nineveh and from Israel and what they represent. But part of what the message of Advent is, is that Jesus didn't escape. Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us. And and he became sin in order that he could bring redemption to a place. And I wonder what our places are. Maybe we can think about that a little bit as we go from here. You know, what, what does it mean to be now in the pattern of the Savior and to care about a place and to really engage a weary world that needs us and not just flee to Tarshish? Which brings us to Joppa. Uh, Joppa, of course, is the port. It's where you're buying your ticket. Where are you going? Where, where are we all going? It, it, again, the, the question of Advent is one that, that keeps repeating itself. It comes back and it says, I see the weary world. I am entering in in order to bring it life. Will you draw close to me? Will you allow me to draw close to you? Will my life take root in your life? And will you bring this life to a weary world? We find ourselves at Joppa, and we can go to Nineveh. We could stay in Israel. We could go to Tarshish. Where will we go? Some of you have been benefiting from this little book that they put together uh, during, um, during the Arts and Rec Camp. This summer, it's a book of poetry by Thomas Carlyle uh, about Jonah. It's got kind of a contemporary feel to it. Uh, there are a lot of really good uh, penetrating ways to look at the book. I, this question, the, the name of the poem is actually question. It's Jonah's words. I I hate God's enemies with a perfect hatred. Why can't God do as much? And the answer is, he did. But he poured out that wrath on his son. 
the greater Jonah. And he invites us to find ourselves in union with him and to love a weary world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its invitation. As we find ourselves between Nineveh and Israel, Tarshish and Joppa, Lord, we, we hear your sweet voice beckoning us to come, beckoning us to find ourselves in you who went outside the city not to oversee its destruction, but in order to give your blood that the violent might be sanctified. Father, we, we say, yes, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We, we need this. And so speak to us of your grace. Father, I, I do pray for those who find themselves in the port of call in Joppa in a, in a very real way this morning. Perhaps it has to do with a situation at work or in their neighborhood or in their family. Perhaps it has to do with their own soul's existential need to find rest in you. Lord, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide them to book their ticket uh, for the city whose builder and maker is God alone. It's the greatest of all cities, the new Jerusalem. We pray this in the name